show that brings global trends to an Irish audience to help shape your knowledge of the industry. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your hosts today are Carol Tallon and myself, Brian Fox. Thank you, Brian. Okay, we have an, another exciting lineup um, with guests from a state agency and construction, and we'll be discussing, of course, uh, the prop tech sector as always, just to give us a different uh, view of the market, really. But first, let's look at some of the big property stories of the past week. Um, so, okay, I think the biggest industry story over the last week centres around the decision to sell Green REIT. Now, um, this move by property veterans Stephen Vernon and Pat Gunn has led to speculation across all of the broad sheets over the weekend that they are calling the top of the market and I think anybody familiar with their past history going back about two decades is likely to pay attention to this warning. Um, Also in the Sunday papers the lead story uh, is one that's actually been garnering a lot of attention at the moment and that is the Sunday Independent reported that block buying is to hit a record high as investors snap up developments. So it's reported that funds have spent uh, 430 million euro for more than a thousand homes in the first three months um, amid amid the crisis, that the ha- current housing crisis and IRES REIT has been revealed as the largest block buyer in Dublin so far this year. Um, also Kennedy Wilson is apparently advancing plans to develop a further 268 apartments at the Grange and Stillorgan for the rental market. Um, And then looking further south, the Irish Examiner in their house price special reports that house prices in Cork City are up by 100,000 over the past five years. Uh, Outgoing Central Bank Chief Philip Lane has called for measures that would force the banks to hold more capital. This would mean that even fewer or perhaps no exemptions to the current mortgage lending rules that limit lending to 3.5 times the annual salary. And Dublin Live has a story where it says the, uh, the, uh, as, the annual rent, as the rental market reaches what we hope is peak crisis point, Dublin Live r- reports that a Dublin woman viewing an €800 Euro per month room was floored by a landlord's ghastly catch, which was she was going to be sharing a double bed with a total stranger. And on Cretch.com, the latest global prop tech funding study has found that dollar volume in real estate tech companies reached new highs in uh, Q1 uh, 2019. Compared to Q1 2018, global, global dollar volume increased by 607%, totaling $9.9 billion, the largest gain in real estate tech history. Now, moving on, as most listeners are probably well aware, the property developer Johnny Rowan has recently got planning permission from Dublin City Council to build a high-rise building. To rise a high-rise building, the decision has caused a lot of controversy as it's the first high-rise construction in Dublin. Just before the Easter recess, Deputy Maureen O'Sullivan, who is an independent TD in Dublin Central, asked Taoiseach leaders questions of the wisdom of, binding, of, of building high-rise buildings in Dublin. Here's what she put to, to Leo Bradker. I want to look at the implications of Minister Murphy's decision to increase the building heights in Dublin. This was a decision that was made without any regard to the setting, the impact on land value, any sense of home or quality of life. But what it has done is it has opened a space for developers whose Celtic Tiger excesses and irresponsibilities had drastic consequences in many areas, including housing. Now, the permission was given because this door was open to Tanit, which is controlled by property developer Johnny Ronan, for a 22-storey 
Tower, on Tower Street. Now, this had already been rejected by DCC planners because its scale and bulk would be significantly detrimental to the architecture and conservation of the area from Trinity College along the Liffey Custom House and into O'Connell Street. Now, under FOI, I received copies of letters between developers and ministers of housing. And apart from the praise and considerable redactions, one quote stood out, which was that height limits are compromising Dublin's ability to respond to the housing crisis. And I would ask what this 22 tower is going to do for housing, and the answer is nothing. Now, I want to turn to the Docklands, and again, quotes relating to the Docklands, that restrictions are preventing delivery of appropriate residential densities in Dublin Docklands. There is significant impediment to increasing housing supply there. Now, the current heights had been adhered to to date because of the SDZ, legally binding contract between the local authority, the developer and the community. Developers are now lobbying, pressurising DCC to review the SDZ, but only on height. And that's the door that Minister Murphy has opened. If there is a review, then the other aspects of the SDZ should be part of the review. Aspects like plot ratio, sustainable living, social audit, benefit to community, quality of life, social mix and infrastructure. But the review of the height, supposedly for housing, in reality, it's for high-rise offices, commercial space, hotels, apart hotels, some student accommodation and the housing, all buy to lets that won't be on sale on the open market. Zero scope for, the pub for public servants, for people on average wages to afford to live in the area, not to mind the local community. There's such hypocrisy that this is supposed to be for housing. And we especially see it when the previous building boom in the Docklands, there were 36 social homes. With these plans, there will be none. The social element is gone. It's gone out to Rialto and along the M50. There's also well-established communities in the Docklands area of North Wall. They're being ignored. They're being treated with contempt. They're overshadowed. And they're now facing a 22-storey office block practically in their back gardens. What's happening is giving away control of an important part of the city, the North and South Lodge to developers. I mean, do we never learn? We'll be left with uninspiring glass cages and no communities, no houses, no homes. So where is a real, creative, sustainable vision for Dublin with people at the core of that vision, not profiteering, egotistical developers with abysmal track records when it comes to quality of life for communities and for ordinary people? Okay. Silence, please. Tisha, three minutes. Thanks, thanks very much, Deputy, for, for raising uh, this issue. Uh, I prefer not to comment on an individual planning application or, or building um, or an individual SDZ without having studied them. Uh, I, I'm not informed enough to, to comment on them specifically, uh, but I am advised that the City Council is reviewing the SDZ uh, for that area, and I would expect the City Council to take into account all issues, uh, including the impact on existing residents, uh, on their residential amenity, on all of the factors that should be taken into account uh, in planning. Um, on a general point though, I have to say that I support the policy uh, of us going higher uh, in our cities, uh, not just in Dublin, uh, but also in the centre of Cork, in the Docklands and Tivoli, uh, in the centre of Limerick, in the centre of Galway as well. Uh, and in my view, uh, our cities, rather than growing out and continuing to sprawl and sprawl and sprawl, uh, should grow up. And that's not just for uh, housing, that applies as well for office buildings, um, for public buildings, for any type of buildings we do. Because if we have more dense development, and that involves some high-rise, not all high-rise, but some high-rise uh, in our city centres, um, that's right from, in terms of climate action and our response to climate change. It means less commuting, it means people spending 
less time in their cars and more time with their families. It means that we can run public services and public transport much more efficiently. And you and I, and I'm sure most people in this house, travel all over the world. And we see beautiful cities all over the world uh, that have high density, whether it's Chicago, whether it's San Diego, uh, whether it's Barcelona. Uh, and people have a good quality of life, good services, good public transport, uh, and they live in much higher densities. And I don't think that's a bad model. I think that's actually a good model. Um, but we must take everything into account. Uh, and whether it's planning applications for a two-storey building or a six-storey building or a 25-storey building, um, planners must take into account all factors, the architectural merit of the building, the impact it has on other people, um, whether it's a near-zero emissions building. So in principle, I think we're right to go higher in our cities, um, but you don't just go ahead and do it without taking into account all those other factors as well. One minute. I, I do think there is a space for high-rise, but Dublin is not New York or Chicago. Dublin has a particular historic and cultural aspect to it. But let's not be hypocritical about this, because height increases are nothing to do with housing, regardless of whether they're appropriate for family living or not. But they're nothing to do with housing. And I think it's time that we move away from terms like social and affordable and begin to use the term public housing. I don't know whether you got down to CHQ to see the exhibition on the Vienna model. But what we had there was a creative, innovative, use of space and also use of current buildings and you know it's being presented as a way forward and I do think we should look at that and I think the Docklands could be the lead on that otherwise what we're consigning the Docklands to is offices and business space and high rides all over the place and I mean the communities down there have suffered enough already I don't know whether you saw the last night the, the, footio, the video footage that was released by the IFI and it was showing the demolition of, of Sheriff Street back in the 80s people hoping that something better was going to come I just prefer to another one in the Balls Bridge area. There is a block of, I think it's 80 apartments at the moment. They're all being bought up. And for what? To put up 300 buy-to-lets in that area. So we're creating a market for a certain kind of people. And what we're seeing is increasing land value and then the flipping of sites. But we are going against what was agreed in the SDZ. And I do hope that what you're saying, that everything will be reviewed, will be reviewed. Thanks, okay. Deputy. Um, you know, we need all types of development uh, in Ireland and, and our cities. Uh, housing, office buildings, hotels, student accommodation. We're going to have a population of 6 million by 2040. So it's not an either-or. We're going to need all sorts of development uh, in, in our cities. Uh, and while the particular block which you reference has no housing in it, just the other day, Ambor Panola approved planning permission for 3,500 homes in Poolbeg, a mixture of private, affordable and social housing uh, at high densities. So you're right about Tower Street, but not far from Tower Street is Poolbeg, where 3,500 uh, residential units have been approved. Uh, I haven't been over to CHQ uh, recently, uh, but I have been to Vienna many times, and I think the model of public housing that they use in Vienna has merit. Um, it's one of the reasons why we're doing cost rental, for example, on Emmett Road, uh, and also uh, in Dunleary Rat, Rat Down. Um, but actually what I find ironic is that many of the people who uh, laud the Vienna model are actually opposed to aspects of it here in Ireland. Uh, the Vienna model is a relatively high local property tax being used to help subsidise housing. Something very much opposed uh, but, but by the left in Ireland. Uh, it's not direct build by local authorities. It's done through public-private partnerships and affordable housing bodies, something that they viciously oppose. Uh, and also it involves relatively low levels of home ownership. Uh, most people in Vienna do not own their own, own, their own home. They are tenants. It is buy-to-let.
Okay, that was Deputy Maureen O'Sullivan, Independent TD for uh, Dublin Central, uh, having um, putting it to the Taoiseach leaders' questions there before the Easter, East, the Easter recess on the uh, planning permission that Dublin City Council gave to Johnny Rowan in relation to uh, high-rise buildings on, on Tara Street. Um, your thoughts? Carol, on what um, look, their contributions were? No, <clears throat> to be fair, the deputy made some good points there. Um, it's no secret that I am certainly in uh, full agreement that Dublin needs high-rise. But I, I think it's really important to say that 22 stories is not high-rise. It's mid-rise. But all things being relative, I, I understand that it's a departure for the city. But I think to... to um, use as one of its arguments that it's going to overshadow Custom House. Custom House is on the other side of the keys. We can't allow something on one side of the Liffey to determine what's going to happen on the other side. So I, I think that that's but maybe... But is, is there any definition then for what high-rise is? I mean, in terms well, of... You're, you're saying... In the city, about, like, for example, <clears throat> the, the deputy there said um, this isn't New York or, or Chicago, which, of course uh, not. you know, of course it isn't. But actually, just over the weekend, I was reading a book talking about the first high-rises um, in the US around the 1850s and how they came about. But at that stage, um, a high-rise was 12 um, uh, it was 12 stories and then uh, through innovation you know before the end of the 1800s they were able to get to 20 stories so in fact we're actually more than a century behind um, what what would be considered even mid-rise mm-hmm. so um, can I, can it, it's not a fair comparison to say Can I interject there because yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you, you raised a century because I was speaking we were actually discussing this uh, after that question was raised uh, in, in uh, Leinster House with another journalist as far as he is concerned high-rise will not or medium-rise whatever you want, whatever you want to put it will not work in this town because it's a medieval city and as such we, we're, we're going out as opposed to up what would your reaction to that particular no, in fact, actually, we were looking. Um, there are cities like the city of Berkeley in in California. US. There, there's a city that actually had a very rich history um, with very particular architecture. And actually, what happened is as high rises came around the outskirts, what it did was it actually it led to the almost perfect preservation of the city centre. But that can't happen. Uh, We can't preserve the city centre if we're not developing on the outskirts. So actually, if you're looking for a model for how to protect the best of the architecture and the era of architecture that we have, then actually I would point to to Berkeley uh, City in the US. So that's one first point. But the second thing is, you have to remember, you know, while we're preserving history, Preservation and progress are not mutually exclusive. And remember, every generation has to shape its city because cities are about people. They're not actually about the buildings. They're not even about the commerce that happens in them. Cities, the lifeblood of cities are the people in them. And so in much the same way as fashions um, uh, change and there are trends Every generation has to be given the opportunity to shape its city. So, for example, when I look at 70s architecture, I don't particularly like it, but I but I can see reflected in it the times. So we have to change with, we, with the we times. Have to, and, and in fact, even if we shape um, 22 stories, tower, tower, you know, th- that's just one, that'll be one snapshot in time. Whereas in 5, 10, 15 years time, that's going to change. So actually Dublin skyline is never going to be static and we don't want it to be static. I just want to put another point to you, Carol, because... Um during um, during that uh, that interchange there between the deputy and the theatre, she mentioned the fact that, um, and I think it's related to to Tower Street, that um, 
people that are working in these offices will be overlooking and watching into people's gardens. But I don't think there are people's gardens in, 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 in cities as um, such. Is not that a, a, a not valid argument? Um, no, no, of course, it's not a valid argument. And look, the other side of it is under Project 2040, we know that there's half a million new homes needed um, by 2040. We know that more than half of those are going into the greater Dublin area. And the reality is that if you choose to live in a city, which more and more people are, then you're choosing to live in closer proximity to each other. And the reality is that in Dublin, no more than in most other cities in 20 years time we're just not going to be building um, low low rise uh, two and three bedroom houses that have front and back gardens and off and off street parking that's just not going to be a reality of future development cities can't grow like that so to, I suppose to sum up really she did make some some good points in relation to um, the social um, development zones and so forth um, I, I don't think a lot of them have been fully teased out in relation to Dublin City Council etc in terms of reviewing it and so forth am well, I correct? They're the, the um, strategic development strategic zones, development zones. Yeah, yeah, sorry. The, the whole idea of those is that they must be flexible and responsive to the needs of the community and I, I think that actually it's really unhelpful when we get this kind of political uh, rhetoric or really it's unhelpful um, electioneering when politicians say that uh, apartments aren't uh, you know somehow do away with a sense of home and community it's the very opposite we now have people living and creating homes and communities within apartments so actually we need to knock that notion in the head and it's really unhelpful for politicians to do that we actually may have a discussion too in the future because I think it's a very good point that you brought up in in relation to public uh, social housing this this idea of public and and social housing that she talks about um, it's all been lumped into one uh, basket if you wish anyway um, stay with us after the break we have Michael Kinsella Managing Director of Kinsella Estate Wicklow and Wexford everything's fine on 93.9 Dublin South FM oh, will you look at them go I wish I had their energy Ah, oh, they're good for the soul though aren't they I can't imagine life without Lucky, <laughs> but he might outlive me yet. Oh, well, take my advice and sign up for a Dog's Trust Canine Care card. It's completely free, and it's given me such peace of mind since I did. What's that? Well, it's simple, really. It means if you pass away before Lucky, Dog's Trust will take him in and give him the care and love he needs until they match him with the perfect forever home. That sounds terrific. How much did you say it costs? It doesn't cost a cent. Great. How do I sign up? Just text CARE to 50100 and they'll call you with more information. Or you can go to dogstrust.ie. Well, that's wonderful advice. I'll do that right away. Here, Lucky. Good boy. Whatever loan you're looking for, wedding loans, holiday loans, car or home improvement loans, make sure you talk to your local Capital Credit Union where there are no hidden charges or early repayment penalties on your loan. Loans subject to approval, terms and conditions apply, Capital Credit Union Limited, regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Senior Line is a confidential telephone service for older people. Free phone 1-800-80-45-91. We're open every day of the year from 10am to 10pm, including Christmas Day and New Year. So it's free phone 1-800-80-45-91. We're there if you need someone to talk to and need someone to listen. We're older people too, so we will understand and we're very good at listening. Did you get the senior line number? It's free phone 1-800-80-45-91. Your community radio for South Dublin. This 
is Dublin South FM. And welcome back to uh, Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carl Tan and myself, Brian Fox. You can contact us, contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. As mentioned before the break, our guest in studio with us today is Michael Kinsella. Michael is Managing Director of Kinsella Estates in Carnew and Gorey. Michael, welcome to uh, Thanks, Property Thank Matters today. So, um... We, uh, well, well, all of us that are living on this side, side of the city, are, are witness to um, the developments that are going down in uh, that are going on in South and indeed North Wicklow. But let's just talk about South Wicklow for a start. Uh, how was business in South Wicklow? Uh, South Wicklow is probably more rural, and um, it's slower than say we have two branches there. So um, our Carnew branch will be a bit slower than say Gory because Gory there, as I say, I got up here this evening in forty-five minutes. Um, just up long. I know traffic now today, come, but going back the other way is different completely. But um, it's just very much commutable. I'd say the, our Gory area and say probably 75 80% of our buyers are all dubs moving down, getting better value for money down our way. So, uh, South, South Gory, sorry, Gory will be the line then for South Wicklow down, down to, I suppose, down to Wexford, would it be? Down? Wexford, uh, yeah, exactly. And um, we'll have Camol in there, which should be the, the bypass will be open now, and in Escorty bypass and the Ross bypass, so it could be a whole very commutable the whole way down along and we, we even noticed that the market is improving in villages like Camol and Ferns there because it just is making it that 10 minutes further down it's making it more um, attractive for people to for and tell them. me I mean are they not I, okay maybe they're, they're looking at property down there but are they not put off by you know the, 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 the you know the, the pro- traffic problems that are getting a lot of publicity with TDs and newspapers you read McWilliams in, 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 in the Irish Times now highlighting it these problems that are that are that are, that are commuters are having going down to Wicklow and, and uh, coming back up they are indeed both like look we have a bus a bus every hour on the hour Tra- two trains go up in the morning two trains come back in the evening but like just with people's working hours now everything's gone so you know working from home a couple of days a week mm-hmm. and we found that there are just people Five days a week, so safe to run, you have to go to them two days a week. It's very much viable. And again, such the trains are there, the buses are there as well. Get to do your hours work on the bus going up along, connect to the Wi Fi. Have an hours work for you, you get modern, to the office. Modern life. I'm I'm really surprised to hear you say that seventy five to eighty percent eighty percent of your buyers at the moment are dubs moving out. So are these primarily driven by affordable prices? So are you talking about first time buyers? First time buyers also, yes, but um, holiday homes, as you know, we're beside uh, Courtown Ballymoney. Is there a buoyant holiday home market at the moment? Massive. Really? Massive, and it's See, really kicking off. that's the kind of thing you never read about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, cash- well, well, the way I read about it is that um, you're getting, it's getting a hammering because of the success of Ryanair and, 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 and budget airlines that people are heading off. But you're actually experiencing a, a buoyancy in the market. There is the indeed. Um, as I say, over the years, it's tradition. We go to meet people there that are selling on. They buy a house when the kids are three and four years of age. Kids get to 17, 18 years of age. Their parents are no longer using the holiday homes. But it's huge at the moment there. Are people come down for the Easter holidays for two weeks. Himself can come down for the weekend, work during the week, go down the weekend. It's massive. Yeah. And the same, I suppose, applies to British Bay. Um, are these, are the holiday homes in particular, are they all cash buyers? Um, a lot of them will be getting loan approval for a, for a second homes. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's an interesting one. And I suppose Airbnb, the, the impact hasn't been as keenly felt in terms of the regulations that's going to restrict lettings in the cities. That's unlikely to be an issue down around the southeast. Got, I, I, there's not much Airbnb down our way, as, as it is up here. Um, as I say, a lot of the people there that would have bought houses maybe 10 years ago, and it just got to a level that... 
it, it makes it viable for them to let their houses go in the last two or three years again and they might have had them rented for two or three years where they're waiting for the market to improve mm-hmm. but in regards of holiday lets I was dealing with one um, management company there and they've actually last year went and put all their properties in long term lets because by the time they were taxed out their B&B rents having someone there on Saturdays to do the changeovers there during the week event went wrong with the house so they have the rents a three bed down with us now is 12, 1300 per month and is that your second hand? No, the, the rental, rental market. Oh, rent, that's, yeah. that's, yeah, sorry. But that's a serious jump up because two years ago you were talking about rents of eight hundred, seven and eight hundred. Yeah. So that's that's a massive jump up. So look back to the say the first time buyers. I'm interested to know because first time buyers in Dublin are having such a difficult time. Um, the profile of first time buyers that are heading down towards South Wicklow and Wexford um, are they typically would they be low to middle income earners? Um, low to middle, exactly. Yeah, and just start, like again with the rents they are, that are up here they'll be entering for 2000 they're getting yeah. a mortgage there and on a house they're buying off me for 160, 170 and repayments are probably only seven to 800 a month so they're actually they're it makes it viable and if, if they are coming from Dublin what are their expectations of living in a rural setting? Well they say rural setting go, go to Gorey there Gorey has everything Little Aldi, Tesco's, cinemas, schools, Very nice shops. boutiques and bakeries. <laughs> as well. Right. But like, Important stuff. But it's what a village atmosphere as opposed to what we It have wouldn't be, the Bargo, it's say Carnew, some of the different towns that we actually live in, Carnew myself, an office in Carnew there. Um, a smaller population, it's a village. But just come back to Gorey, a lot of people have Gorey as their hotspot. Do you know, for doing their weekly shopping and... Uh, Gorey has always been a strong market town. I'm from Wicklow myself and Gorey has always been a strong market town. I, I don't think it's, it's ever really been described as a village. It's, it's quite a buoyant thing. It is, yeah. And oh, well, actually I, the I do. Well, I mean, I, I meant that as a compliment uh, from a communal point of view. And from a you meant that as a, as a townie. No. As, <laughs> as a country, I can <laughs> no. tell you, Gorey's a big town. <laughs> I actually look, look forward to a village, we have a village atmosphere in New York, believe it or not, in some of our parts. But. Very good. And um, I, I suppose looking at South Wicklow, um, I think that there's a huge divide. People maybe aren't aware that there's as much of a divide between North and South Wicklow because there was a little bit of an anomaly when the M11 went in because it made North Wexford more accessible and more commutable than South Wicklow. And I think that really threw um, house hunters who were looking because they assumed looking at the map that if they were looking in South Wicklow it would be an easier commute than North Wexford and that wasn't the case but that's changing now is it? But like from say from Wicklow town even there you know the prices there there's probably a 16 70,000 gap there for one and a half an hour further down the road to Gorey but like go down again I'd say to Inescorty there's another 50,000 again less but areas like Inescorty with the new bypass when it's open in the summer I think will have a um, positive impact on the asking prices down there. The, the bypass is opening this summer? They're, on about the, they're working on it at the moment, so June, July they're supposed to be opening. Very good, so that will that make a huge difference. Um, what is supply like at the moment? Because in North Wicklow there's an absolute um, shortage of homes, say for the, not just for the first time buyer market, but even for those trading up. Is supply a little bit better Around South Wicklow. South Wicklow again as well. We have great selection of properties there. I say go on to Kinsella Estates. And again, we've we've houses there starting from 120, and that's I would say Carnew Way, whereas River Chapel there can get you a tree bed for 140, 150. Go back into Gorey, that's 50,000 more. See, now, I, do you know River Chapel, Brian? I don't. I, it's within walking distance of Court Town, and I know this because. We used to holiday in mobile homes in River Chapel and walk in and out to to Court Town. 
Yeah. And they're actually so. working on it. It will be a complete, a, a proper footpath from Gory to Court Town. They're actually working on it there today. I've noticed now as well they've opened another section. So hopefully we'll have a footpath the whole way out from Gory to Court Town Stroke River Chapel. That'll they're, make they're a huge difference. Huge yeah. impact. Yeah. So 120, uh, 120,000 you say you've property starting from. Genuinely. What condition is property for 120,000? Um, three beds there and say, for example, Beachside River Chapel. Um, we can get you a little three bed house there, mid terrace. 120, 125. Uh, modern built? Modern built in 2005. 120. You considering it, Brian? Well, en suite as well, <laughs> the roofs and so forth. One master, master bedroom en suite, typically. Central heating. All for central heating, yeah. Um, you can go for some of the other ones that are more holiday home. We did have um, electric heat, but you will get property around there for 120. I suppose it's more economical to have oil on, I take it, right? Oil is more popular than with us. There's very, very rarely, there's would not much gas. Electric, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. But the typical holiday homes would have been electric heating also. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in terms of, say, family homes, so kind of stepping away from the holiday home market for family homes, what kind, what are the trends you're seeing among sellers at the moment? Like what types of properties are coming up? Uh, we've actually a good selection of new properties and it's always this time of the year. Uh, the brighter evenings and mm. from Patrick's Day, that's when the newer stuff is coming on the market. And we've got quite a few nice houses on the market. We'd like to have got a few more on, on the market for the weekend just gone by, but weather wasn't great, as you know, last week. It was like a winter's day last Monday and Tuesday. So um, we've got new properties coming on the market. But again, the bigger type houses. Uh, how much again, sorry, would, you, would, we, would, you be, would we expect to uh, get for new property now in, in, in your... Well, in the your new three bed Semis and Gory are bringing from 265 to 275 for a three bed semi detached. Okay. But like you can buy a typical second hand three bed in one of the older estates like Clonaton Village or Ramsgate Village. I just sale agreed a three bed in Ramsgate there for 185, which is nearly a 90,000 gap. But that's for this A rated house, airtight. Oh, yeah. And what would the commuting distance say from Ramsgate to the M50 here? Ramsgate, you're in Gory or the M50 here, 50 minutes drive. I know in the morning, just traffic-wise, yeah. between the peaks, between 8 and 9, mm-hmm. possibly not. But again, I was just saying there, I know a lot of people, they're working from home a couple of days a week. Mm-hmm. And um, also, again, uh, doing different hours. So say start, instead of starting at 9, they may be starting at half 7 and finish, finish starting earlier and finishing earlier, or vice versa, put an hour on, starting at 10, finishing at 7. Mm-hmm. Actually, Gory is one of the towns that has a co-working space. Is it the Hatch? Hatch Lab. It's called Hatch Lab. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that, that seems to be really driving trends to k- allow people to work well, Some the co-working is, is where, where you're coming to your office, right? As, as we've, we've featured this before in the past. Yeah, but uh, the the advantage of somewhere like Hatch Labs, it means you could maybe go there one day a week as opposed to three, four or five days, or instead of travelling you know, five days a week. Know, and in fact, yeah. I actually saw just today at lunchtime, I called to the old Avonry in Blessington, uh, which is now called the Avon. And I see a sign in their window. They've taken out their gym and they're offering co-working space with a big sign, Why Travel to Dublin? And I can tell you, we've offices in City West, which is only 50 15 minutes away and I still went in to inquire so we're seeing we're seeing um, co-working spaces pop up all over the place because more and more employers are understanding that they need to give flexible time and uh, where there's flexibility and alternative work hours so even if it's a case that you start two hours earlier or later in the morning and finish two hours earlier or later in the evening it means you're missing the rush hour traffic so instead of sitting in traffic you are actually able to do a commute like this sure. in under an hour so it it actually makes a difference and employers understand that they're waking up to that I think Getting better value for money and number one rents mm. than up here and also then house prices sure there's no comparisons Yeah Well 
Yeah, no, that that's very true. And um, you know, you you say there that seventy five to eighty percent of your buyers are coming from Dublin, but actually there might be another reason for that, and that is I know that Kinsella Estates were the first agents, estate agency outside of Dublin, um, to introduce three sixty viewing and remote viewings there, uh, back in twenty sixteen. When no, when no one else is doing it so you're allowing buyers to actually come in and in some properties do a virtual walkthrough um, so in terms of technology because if you're a regular listener to the show here <laughs> you'll know we have a strong interest in prop tech and it's something that we cover every week and one of the things that we're quite critical of is that sometimes estate agents can be quite slow to embrace mm. new technology and one of the excuses I'm going to say reasons, but one of the excuses that we're given is that uh, buyers don't need it. Buyers aren't demanding it. And I don't think that's true. So if you're offering technology to allow buyers to remotely view your properties, that might explain why you're getting 75 to 80 percent of just, just b- b- buyers. Before, uh, um, in case listeners aren't aware of what we're talking about when it comes to 360, we've already discussed this before, but I think it's a 360 images like the Google Maps it, where you can do a virtual, do tour. A virtual tour on mm. the street and you can you can use the cursor there and to look around out the full street as to as to what it's like. And no, so inside, inside the inside. property. In, yes, inside the, well, inside. it's the same, same principle though as the Google Maps type of thing. Of course, yeah. 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 So you can actually take a virtual tour of, of, of the uh, property. But do a viewing property there in, in, in your own home and is that not popular with you it is very popular yeah mm. um, and that's the thing we've noticed now like um, over the years pictures wouldn't have been popular but like we try and put as much information up on the adverts there and like it's not that people know what to expect when they're coming down another thing we do as well is we have a 3D layout also which we put in every one of our properties that we have for sale okay. but people get to see the layout of the house uh, we get the layouts and we get the pictures to work with the layout so people get to actually see before they come down what to expect yeah. when, when walking through the house. And would you have online bidding then as well? You can do online bidding also that's a new platform that we've actually just we've started on. And in terms of the of the um, proportion to um, auction bidding as opposed to online which would be working out more popular now at the moment would you think? Um, it, it all depends on the property. Um, we had just I was just saying there before we came in we had a farm there last week in uh, Nakanana there North Wicklow um, 76 acres we sold it in six different lots and that was quite popular and that was sold on auction on the day we actually sold five of the six lots on the day and the six lot the following day um, um, I, I should point out here that Kinsella Estates are one of the few estate agencies that are actually involved in holding um, auctions now because actually not very not very many estate agencies are actually doing that at the moment Yeah, was, uh, we've noticed it's quite popular there with um, any of the farms we have there for example, we did, auction is probably the favoured line to go so with. So land, there. I suppose, with, with farm housing would be the would be auction agricultural would be the way land. To go. Agricultural land, excuse yeah, me. They yeah, find yeah. that most popular that way, and just because again, you'll always have sort of like that farm last week with six lots. There were six surrounding um, land lo- landowners right, around right, that particular right. land who bought it. And how about licensed premises? Would they go the same way? Or would you do much with those? As such? It's quite a mix, and um, all depending on the location. Um, but we, ju- we just actually have agreed a, um, a public house there. Uh, literally, contracts were signed on last week there, so it's got to go, go ahead in that one. Um, Are they still getting the price, though, in relation Some of the rural ones, um, what people I'm finding doing is, in the rural pubs, with a smaller turnover, what they're doing is they're selling the licence off, and they're left with a valuable premises there, then splitting it into different apartments, and just oh, a good rental income. Yeah. So uh, you're seeing rural pubs essentially being turned into... like. Co-living co- or something? Um, I wouldn't uh, say co-living, no, but in regards of splitting them in, like that, that that's one I've just told. Um, there's a five-bedroom residence upstairs. He's going to split down to three different apartments upstairs and just nice rental income. And so what will happen with the actual 
um, well, that particular that, that particular pub now is going to be kept on as a pub. Okay. Um, but there has been previously other pubs sold and licenses have been sold off, and I think they're getting between fifty five and sixty thousand for license nowadays, mm. um, yeah. which is nice cash back in when you buy your property. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It goes towards the uh, refurbish, as I could say. Very good, and um, Michael, I was on your website earlier and I saw that just last year your firm celebrated. Five decades, 50 indeed, years yes. in business. We so since um, your father established the business from Carnew. Exactly. So um, how long have you been at the helm? Um, I started in 2003. And I'd say we would have been more uh, probably uh, the, the agricultural sector in regards to more farmland and things like that. But um, 2006 and seven there, we just tried to concentrate on residential sales there. And thank God now it's working, working, working out for us now 10 years on. But so. after five decades, you must have seen some changes you know, even in, say in the rural towns or the the villages like Carnew, what kind of changes are you seeing there? And more importantly, I mean, we've come through a decade of crisis and then a few years of recovery where recovery was, was a little bit maybe faster than people thought was prudent. Um, how do you feel South Wicklow and North Wexford um, how are those areas set for the next cycle as we move into it? Well, that's a thing. Like we have a couple of sites in the the rural, more rural areas there, and like just developers come in um, to price up the houses, and like they're just not quite there to make it viable to build a brand new A-rated house yet. For example, in Carnew, where I'm telling you about there, like y- you'd have to be getting a minimum of two hundred and twenty or thirty thousand to make it viable mm. to go in and start a greenfield site and build houses to an A-rated spec. Mm-hmm. Um, hence why I said they are selling well, quite well in Gorey but there's no new developments out around the Carnew Shalala area yet because the prices are just not viable for develop, de- develop, developers right. yet So there's areas in South Wicklow where there's still properties for sale that can be purchased for less than they can be built Exactly yeah. there's, no, there's no fear of depopulating depopulation then in your particular neck of the woods as such that where it's happening to a lot of rural areas around the country now at the moment Yeah yeah, it's 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 actually doing quite well. It is, that is and as you said yourself, I mean, there's, there seems to be a, uh, quite a number of um, Dubliners going down now to to buy in in in, the neck, in your it's neck. It's a huge part of a business, and again, same as evening times now. Since the clocks came forward, a big thing we do is we do a lot of viewings in the evening time. Do you know, people coming out from Dublin at seven eight o'clock because they're working during the day and don't get time. So we notice that now the evening viewings have taken up. Um, we mightn't finish here at half eight or nine o'clock. Some evening viewings. Saturdays are very busy. Also, I find that right, of yeah, interest. Yeah. yeah. Alrighty, that was Michael Kinsel, manager director of Kinsel Estates. Uh, thank you for coming in for us today, Michael. Thank you for having me. Uh, next up, we, after a quick break, we'll be joined by Karen Muldowney, head of business development for construction uh, giant Shapuji Palunji. I hope I got that name right. Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. Could you and your dog spend one hour per week bringing special moments to people in care centres? Or would you like one of our volunteer visiting teams to come and visit your care centre? At Irish Therapy Dogs, we have a dedicated interest in the use of pet therapy for people in long-term or daily residential care. A professional organisation aimed at providing a pet therapy service on a national basis. If you with your dog would like to get involved or if you would like one of our visiting teams to visit your care centre, then please call us on 01544-6198 or visit irishtherapydogs.ie for more information. Do you need a professional-looking website or graphics for your company? Does your current website work on all modern devices such as tablets and smartphones? If not, you are losing business. 
Preamp Digital Media provides a full range of solutions to give your company the edge in today's digital world. Please visit www.preampdigitalmedia.com for all the information you need. That's www.preampdigitalmedia.com I've always provided. That's what I do. Even when the job shut down, I somehow managed. But the pressure chips away at your confidence. I felt alone. I needed to talk things out. I learned Samaritans isn't just for when you hit rock bottom. I'm glad I called. It's always worth getting problems big and not so big off your chest. Call Samaritans. No pressure, no judgment. We're here for you. Anytime, talk to us. Free call 116-123 or go to samaritans.ie. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. And you're very welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carol Tallon and myself, Brian Fox. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iproperty.radio.com. Uh, as mentioned before the break, we have Karen Mondowney, Head of Business Development for construction giant Shapuji Palungi. Karen, how am I that's, doing with it? Am I really, bad, am I really battering it to hell at this point? Shapuji Palungi. Thank you. Well, again, we're delighted to have you back in the studio again, and thank you for so much for coming in. Let's just start with the uh, construction uh, business as we have in Ireland today. I believe that nearly 40% of construction companies here have hired Irish workers returning from abroad, according to a, uh, a, a, a survey from the Construction Industry Federation of Ireland. Yes, um, obviously it's a hot topic for any construction company right now. Um, There's such a shortage of labour within the industry. Um, We've, in the last five years, recruited an additional 50,000 people and still need another 50,000 people. So we're going to have to look to the to uh, outside of Ireland to recruit these. I suppose it was interesting there a few weeks ago when they've lifted um, or relaxed the, re- the regulations in regards to uh, work permits for uh, non-nationals. Yeah, where Ireland. are the Irish coming from? Are they coming back from the UK or the US or Australia or wherever? I, I think it's a mix, yeah. Certainly, I know that a lot of people are returning back from Australia. Uh, people of my age who have gone out back in 2008, 2009, um, set up homes, had married, had small kids and are just returning uh, now why to do raise they children. Back? I think it's a combination of obviously wanting to move home and the industry is... Um, thriving at the moment so there is opportunities for people there's a requirement there we can you know the great thing about social media is we're reaching out to these people who are uh, living in places like Dubai and Australia yeah and uh, would you have any sort of age any idea of what sort of age these people would be that are coming back I mean would you have the over 40s would say staying behind and and getting settled there as opposed to younger folk coming over here yeah I think it's it's usually you find the people who have either just got married or looking to come back to get married and settle down Um, I think certain people are out there now so long that they've got kids that are starting secondary school and it's extremely hard then to relocate them back home yeah and uh, the other thing to bear in mind is that actually um, this isn't this labour shortage for the construction industry is certainly not an Irish problem it's a global problem and we've had almost a lost decade of graduates coming through. So we have a shortage of, we have a shortage across the board in terms of trades, skills and um, and in the profession. The, the construction industry has not, um, has not been seen as a very attractive proposition, say, for graduates over yeah. the past 10 years. I, I was of the belief that, particularly after the recession, pay rates weren't as good here as abroad. Is that been rectified now? Have pay rates gone up, gone up somewhat for... for uh, for people that are involved in the trade. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
So it is more attractive now to come back. It to is. It, it is an attractive industry to be in. Um, de- certainly, wages are increasing, and obviously, con- as a construction company, you're having to factor those prices in. Yeah, in tenders, of course, yeah. um, and it's it's hard to compete, yeah. um, and you want to be seen as a company that pays yeah. pays well. So I suppose that has the knock on effect then of increasing house prices it, again. And, and, and it does, yeah. I mean, most people you talk to, it's not generally about the salary, as long as you know you're meeting those expectations and they're meeting their their the bills that they have, um, and they can see development. Most people are going to choose a company based on the whole package that has yeah. been offered to them, not necessarily the salary. Because at the end of the day, once you're used to a certain salary, but you're not, you know, you don't feel uh, involved in a company or see progression. It's very demo- demotivating for yourself. Yeah. And how do you do... So what kind of incentives um, can you offer, say, you know, a- across the QS and project managers and engineering side of it? Like, you know, what kind of incentives can you compete on? I mean, is it further training? Is it chartered status? I mean, wh- what are the incentives you can offer? Because this is such a hot topic that yeah. is, firms are really struggling to compete for staff and then to retain the staff they have. I think it's really genuinely by having a good uh, people management strategy and executing it, not just having it written and put in a drawer. Things like flexible working, working from home, incentives, gym incentives, uh, pensions, which is, you know, we, we're, we're all brutally aware that by the time we come to retire, we, we, we'll, we probably won't be getting good government pensions or if we do, they'll be going to be very minimum. So mm-hmm. it's things like pensions, health care. It is the whole package. The work-life balance is very important to uh, women and to men. You know, we're in an era now where it's very much a family. The mother and the father are raising children together. It's not just a woman mm. at home. So it's offering that flexibility. But again, it does depend on your role. At the end of the day, if you're a site manager, you have to be on a site from eight to five. Um, if you're the QS or the project manager... QS now being... Uh, QS is which one? Quantity surveyor. Quantity surveyor, okay. Yeah. So yeah. There's a certain amount of that work that can be done remotely. Um, designers as well. I mean, we, we utilise our design uh, team back in Dubai um, and uh, they're flying in and out to us. So we... There's a lot of work now that can be done remotely yeah. um, and people can be sitting, you know, in their home in Mayo or Galway yeah. and commuting up to Dublin one day a week. And technology has transformed a lot of the traditional roles within construction. And I'm not sure that that's something that the construction industry is very good at getting out, say, to um, primary school and secondary school and even college graduate level. You know, that actually traditional construction is not, it doesn't look like it how it looked no. 20, 30, 40 years well, ago. Well, we, we had a conversation there off air about in regards to people within the gaming industry coming into construction. Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually for BIM Technologies, I mean, it, um, I, I remember, uh, by the way, BIM is uh, building information modelling and um, the the data-driven side of uh, the, the design and planning process. And to see the, the advances that that has taken over the past 10 years is just phenomenal. So, you know, you've got um, BIM leading right into uh, virtual reality reality and augmented reality mm. that is transforming the the building sites. So building sites no longer look like it's they not looked as dirty 20 years as ago. it was it used to be, no. You know, I actually it's really interesting that that's something that's a message that's actually been put out by the construction industry federation that actually, you know, uh, the construction industry this isn't the backbreaking 
dirty work that it used to be that actually you know technology is such a huge part of it and that's becoming more and more prevalent in fact there's a great video on social media um, at the moment uh, I found it through YouTube where they're actually training um, digger drivers who've been digger drivers for 20, 30, 40 years um, how to embrace new technology um, using the iPad so they can they, yeah. So that all the, the site ground works um, is being relayed to an office in a different country I've seen instantly this. Yes. in real time. Yeah. And the training for people who are not familiar with using technology, the training was taken was 45 minutes. Yeah. I seen I seen uh, something I don't know was it the same one or yeah. very similar where it was being done remotely so the digger was being done from a different country yeah the digger driver wasn't even in the country Crazy. and it was being done well, by let's, let's just, uh, can I get back to the Esper for a moment because I, I believe that um, some in the construction industry are arguing that there should be a lot more done to encourage the return of the diaspora to Ireland and to remove barriers that can some, they can sometimes face. In your opinion, is that a valid is that a valid problem? Hundred percent. Yeah, I think the government needs to look at incentives of bringing the people back. Hundred percent. Right. Yes, either be taxed through tax incentives of uh, bringing people back to Ireland to relocate. Do you know? I mean, we talk about incentives, but actually, at the moment, there's. Uh, Oh, almost like an anti-incentive you know not necessarily a disincentive but it, um, you know they help to buy scheme you know that doesn't work for people returning to Ireland who want to buy a home because they haven't been in Ireland paying tax so therefore they can't benefit from the help to buy scheme so actually there's things like yeah. that that the government could do and they could implement straight away that would mean that people are returning to Ireland and returning with um, cash that they can actually put down deposits on homes uh, if they were able to qualify for the same help to buy relief or, or a comparable then they wouldn't be at a disadvantage to other buyers which they are at the moment they can be at a disadvantage of up to 40,000 say on, on a, a family home Well then on that, from my point of view then it's the same old cliched question I'm afraid Karen but do you think are the, um, the CIF the construction industry of Ireland and so forth doing enough to educate shall we say the government on, on what could be done to attract people back? I, I think yeah I mean if you if you Google any article, the CIF are the, the people yeah. that are the forefront of pushing at this. I, I think um, they're dr- they're driving it. In fact, what we need are uh, what we need are policymakers to actually take that on board and action it and see it as urgent as well because we've a critical need. Um, we're we're so far lagging in what the construction industry is able to deliver in terms of output for housing compared to what we need. So yeah. we're talking about scaling up from nineteen thousand homes uh, last year, eighteen and a half thousand homes last year scaling up to maybe 22,000 homes this year we need 35 yeah, when you say, you say policy yeah. makers you're talking about people uh, obviously in civil service or, or, or government we government need government, government. They, they need to understand mm. that this is quite critical because at the moment the construction industry simply can't deliver what's needed what, what is established as the need as in 35,000 homes or units per yeah, year but, but the problem here is that government up. reacts it doesn't actually you know it's, 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 it has to be told of what, what the problems are before it can solve anything is that is that what do you think is, is that been strong enough felt at the moment by I feel the it uh, is, and construction I think industry? In fairness to the CIF, I think they were the forefront mm. of um, the relaxing of the work permits. Can you explain what that is? Actually, I'm not familiar with it. So, uh, uh, non-EU nationals, um, we we couldn't get the, we couldn't get visas for uh, bricklayers and plasterers, so they've relaxed those laws. So we are in a position now to recruit outside of EU. And when did those changes come into place? Um, about 
two, three weeks ago. Excellent. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. That's excellent. So that'll be a, that would be a, a major step forward for one for sector. The, yeah, for, and will for they, labour. Will, will, yes. they, will they go abroad then to try and recruit people from those countries? That well, we certainly will be. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah and and I've no doubt other construction companies are going to be. Has there been demand? Do you think from those countries to come in, to come here and work? Or, you know, obviously there was some research done on on on, uh, on it before they pressed ahead with legislation. Yeah. Well, it's a bit like um, you know encouraging people back. The problem that people are having as well is is the social factors in regards to getting houses yeah. as well. Yeah. We we see and in, quality in, of life and in, cost of living yeah. in Ireland. And not just to talk about Dublin, but we know we don't have enough houses to rent in Dublin mm. to meet the demand. Um, and I'm sure that's in in other areas as well. So it's it's those issues that we need to tackle as well as you know, things like uh, looking at uh, reduction in taxes or tax incentives to get people back. And in terms of competition, how are we doing now in terms of construction um, output, I suppose, in relation to the rest of Europe? Um, or should I? Are we, 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 there's a lot of construction going on in Ireland, obviously. What about the rest of Europe? Is there much, I mean, in other words, trying to get, trying to get people into work here, um, is that a very competitive thing to be t- to do because of competition across in other countries or states around well, Europe? Well, I suppose when we look at England, there's a lot of people, you know, there's the uncertainty around Brexit. So yeah. I suppose we would be look fortunate that we'll have that labour market that might be in a position to, to come back over to us. Um, in regards to our construction activity, I think we're just below um, the GDP average um, in regards to construction activity, I think we're sitting at something like eight, nine percent, and I think European average is ten percent. Really, yeah, within yeah. the industry. So we're now, it's obviously very active here. Karen. Just, just in recent, uh, just in in the last few hours, actually, a uh, news report came that construction output um, across Europe uh, generally has risen, and we know that construction activities in Ireland um, are up in the last quarter, but they had actually been down towards the end of last year in the last quarter. So I don't know if we can read a trend into this. And in fact, um, this is not what most people want to hear. But whenever we meet people within the construction sector, you know, we'll ask them, where do you think we are in this particular cycle? And a couple of weeks ago, I actually had the first um, general contractor say to me, look, honestly, I think the construction industry is in recession. We just don't realise it yet. And I mean, that's not a view that's shared generally. However, I do think that there certainly people are viewing the market with caution and the industry with caution. Mm. And I think the news that Greenreach was being offered for sale on the market, knowing the form of Stephen Vernon and Pat Gunn, you know, there's definitely an well, they're indication major that on the market as well, aren't they? What they, they they know what they're doing. They what they're um, doing they've yeah. called it right before in the past on on more than one occasion, and they seem to be able to read the signs. Um, that maybe others don't and I think it would be naive for us to think that um, it would be naive for us to think that we can continue to deliver at a level if the market's not responding and the market's not there to fund it so we do I, I think we have a disconnect in the market at the moment and unfortunately that seems to be the cycle that the construction industry takes mm. we can't seem to get ourselves to a position where we're delivering for the market when the market needs it you know there's always this lag mm. which means we're always going to be under delivering under delivering under delivering 
until over we over deliver. Yeah, but I do think though that we're going to take a while to recover with the the housing the residential market. It's, we're not going to fix this this year or next year. So there is a few good few years left within the residential construction, which has is it is increasing. And I suppose to be fair to the government, they have huge you know committed huge mm. investment in infrastructure um, within Ireland over the next twenty years. So that commitment is there. That money is there. So. That that's and we need, but we need that to outlive any political party mm. because I think that's something that um, during the during the crash we had again a lost decade of infrastructure mm. in Ireland. You know, every infrastructure project stalled. You know, nothing went ahead, and so we're re- we're recovering mm. a lost decade of infrastructure. And unfortunately, um, g- even when good plans like Project Twenty Forty are put in place. Yes. They are still ever so slightly at the whim of the political party of the, the day. Only, yeah, they're and only in a plan. Yeah, mm. and that's such a problem. Like if you look at a uh, Fulcher Ireland mm-hmm. or you look at Board Bia, you know these are organisations that can, that that make a, a plan over a decade and that carry forward and they champion every year consistently irrespective of the party in power and yet we don't seem to be able to do that for housing and that just doesn't make sense because housing is far more vital mm. and I mean um, last so week we had more autonomously controlled in other words well last week <clears throat> we had John O'Connor in from the housing agency mm-hmm. and he was talking to us about the Vienna model and you know that that has its merits and it, it will also have its difficulties mm. for, for the industry but one of the one of the side effects of that is that they have this consistent construction industry yeah. and consistent delivery yeah. um, because they have a consistent buyer Bam. At a syst- but a consistent buyer mm. at a consistent rate. Mm. So they yeah. know who's going to buy it and at what rate consistently. And that's what you don't have in the commercial market. Yeah. And that's that's what Ireland is missing at the moment. Whereas if we had stronger, or dare I say braver, political leadership in terms of housing, or perhaps less political interference in terms of housing, then we could have a more consistent um, build programme. Which you is want, what's you want needed. to drop the Minister for Housing, in other words? I don't think that housing is a... I, I don't think that that should be subject to the whim of whichever party is in power. It shouldn't be Karen. a football for politics. Should it, be, should it be legislated then in Europe? No, I don't think so. I think we're well capable of yeah. doing it. Like I said, look at our tourism board, look at our food sector. Mm. So th- we have models for this working in Ireland. But I suppose then you're looking at uh, political people who want to get the vote. Yeah. So it's a tough decision for them. So if it's legislated, it has to be delivered then because they can they can hold their hands up and say, well, this is it, this is legislation. We have and to it's deliver. So tied into we have money to deliver well eighteen thousand social houses a year, mm. or you know, once that plan is done, that it then is legislated again. So at least the the politician can turn around and say, it's not yeah. my fault. Well, a little yeah. a little bit like our planning rules, as in they're the rules we follow them, and to to work our way to a consistent build program mm. and output because nobody's trying to circumvent cycles you know cycles are natural uh, waves of the marketplace that's going to happen as supply and demand ebbs and flows but we shouldn't have these sharp overcorrections, undercorrections. you know that that's not the way functioning markets need to work so but you want to leave it to the market Oh no! I, actually, I agree with Karen. I, I think we should absolutely let you. So, for example, the um, Ireland twenty forty. If if that was enshrined in legislation to be followed, irrespective of the political party in power, then we could actually deliver and mm-hmm. build on something consistently. But we can't do that if it's going to jump ship every so have a four, have four years. A housing forty year plan, in other words. 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's, I, that's I, in fact, I think that's the only way that something like housing and key infrastructure can work. And 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 binding. Not not no 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 political party can can adjust it then when they get into power. It shouldn't be used as political football. And I look, this is particularly pertinent over you know in recent weeks now as we're coming into local elections. And you know we know that no good things are going to happen between now and May. We might, we might just flesh this topic out again in the future as well, I hope. That was Carmel Downey, Head of Business Development for Construction Giant Sharpuji Palungi. Uh, thanks thank again for Karen. And maybe we'll have a dis- discussion on this again when you come in again, Karen. That's it from us today in the studio. Thank you for joining us on Property Matters, the show where property matters. Get in touch with the show by emailing hello at, at ipropertyradio.com. Okay, we want to thank both of our guests for being on the show today. Karen Muldowney, thank you so much. And to Michael Kinsler of Kinsler Estates. Next week, we have a special Smart City show and we'll be joined by the Programme Director of Dublin City Council's Smart Dublin and Smart Docklands Initiative to talk about some of the trials and and, um, programmes actually currently being rolled out across parts of the city. Now, this will be of particular interest to our community of prop tech innovators and investors and for the industry who are ready to embrace change. But for now, thanks to Shane who's on sound and producer Katie Tallon we're back at the same time next week stay tuned for Bowl of Soul which is coming up next so from Brian Fox and myself Carol Tallon have a good week Did you get the senior line number? It's free phone 1800 80 45 91. Your community radio for South Dublin. This 